0: 150 phenomenal psalms in the scripture. The late great Ed Cole used to teach in his men's training program that you should read Proverbs in the morning to fill yourself with wisdom for the day. But each day takes its toll and extracts things from you. So before you go to bed, he taught his men to read psalms. Said there's something about the psalm that will replenish you. Whatever you were depleted of during the day, the psalm will fill you back up. 150 psalms, quite a volume. 150 psalms with five divisions of psalms. The five divisions of psalms are known as number one, thanksgiving. Not only thanksgiving, but how-to instruction, practical instruction. The Psalms teach us that it's not just that God wants to be thanked, but there is also a way to thank God. There is a protocol for offering thanks to God. You don't just receive a blessing and say, thank you. There's a way that you can approach God and give him the thanks that he deserves. And then the second division is praise not only active praise to God, but also how-to instruction. David teaches that there is a protocol of praise, that you should not approach God just any old kind of way, but you should care enough and honor him enough to find out how he wants to be praised. David said things like praise him on the stringed instruments, praised him on the high-sounding cymbals, praise him in the dance. He said, let everything that has breath... Praise the Lord. In a way, he was talking about all of the wind instruments, which he invented and perfected many of the wind instruments for the use of praising God. He said, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, but you enter his courts with praise. That's why, as I've been offering these various cases to the courts of heaven, I never offer a case without giving God a praise, because praise is my entryway into the courts of heaven. Enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. David said from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same that the name of the Lord is to be praised. Letting us know that praise is appropriate in the morning and praise is appropriate in the evening time. Number three is praise. Wisdom for royalty, this is the third division of Psalms. Some people also label it historicity. That if you were going to be a king of Israel, if you were going to be king in the nation, you had to memorize the Psalms that had to do with wisdom for royalty. If you're going to lead anything or instruct anything, you had to... Take those Psalms and make them a part of you. It included the history of how God had dealt with others. And God is so traceable that if he does it for one, the scripture says he's not a respecter of persons. So if he does it in the life of one person, it is at least possible that he will do it in the life of anyone seeking him as well. So they made their kings read that. Then number four is the category of lament because there will be some times where your heart is broken. As a believer, as a, as a Christian, as a person that is strong in their faith, you can be strong in your faith. And still, there will be times when your heart is broken and your heart is overwhelmed. There will be times that you grieve. There will be times you encounter losses. And how should we process our grief? How should we process our pain? Uh, the Lament Psalms give you language and wording for processing hard situations and yet doing it in a faith-filled way. And then finally, number five hymns. Hymns are simply doctrine set to music. And so these five divisions make up the 150 psalms. You might be interested to know that of the 150 psalms there are seven known authors and then there are uh, many anonymous contributions. The seven known authors of psalms are Heman, Solomon, Moses, the sons of Korah, Ethan, and Asaph. And last but certainly not least, David himself. Some of David's psalms don't read like psalms at all. They don't read like songs or poetry. Some of David's psalms are strange. They almost sound like you're reading Jeremiah or Isaiah Uh, Because some of his psalms take on a prophetic tone. There's even messianic prophecy in some of David's psalms. One of the most stark and startling. More so than even Isaiah's famous suffering servant prophecy in Isaiah 53. Where it said he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. People marvel at Isaiah's prophecy so many uh, years before that happened to Christ on the cross. But, but don't leave out David. Go to Psalms chapter 22 real quick. Let me just show you an example of David's prophetic psalms. Psalm 22, 1 and 2, David starts the psalm, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As a Christian, that should sound familiar. Those are the words Jesus spoke on the cross the the bible historians and commentaries they disagree they're kind of split 50 50 was christ quoting david or did david slip into a realm in the spirit prophetically where he could hear these words being said by a suffering servant my god my god why have you forsaken me why are you so far from me and from the words of my groaning verse 2 Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. And then uh, go to verses 6 through 8. 6 through 8. He says, But I am a worm, no man, a reproach of men, despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, Listen, listen he trusted in the lord let him rescue him let him deliver him since he delights in him if you're a christian and you know the story of the crucifixion that should sound familiar those were the words verbatim that the crowd that was mocking jesus said since he trusted in god so much let him deliver him very interesting look at verses 14 through 18 I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot sheared. And my tongue clings to my jaws. And you have brought me to the dust of death. For the dogs surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my... Are you reading this? They pierced my hands and my How could he have known? It's a prophetic psalm. He's writing that psalm as a prophecy from Christ's perspective while Christ was dying. And he knew, he knew he was writing something prophetic, but he had no idea he would be writing it about the Son of God. He knew he was writing something prophetic, but he had no idea he'd be writing it about God manifested in the flesh himself. It's a marvelous psalm. Now, as you read the Psalms, you will notice an obsession. Speaking of obsessions, there are many obsessions that people can be overcome with in life. You know, I know people who are obsessed with golf, you know. They're obsessed with, they don't just play golf. They are obsessed with golf. Everything is about golf. I know people that are obsessed making those little uh, model airplane things, you know, and you go into a room in their house and the whole thing is dedicated to model airplanes. There's many obsessions in life. For David, it just so happens that his obsession was God. And the scripture bears this out. God speaks to Samuel and says, I want you to go to Jesse's house and anoint one of his sons because, and this is God's language, I have found a man that's after my heart. That was David's approach. That was David's pursuit. He was after God's heart. So Samuel takes seven quarts of oil to Jesse's house. And when the prophet of the nation pulls up to Jesse's house with seven quarts of oil, it required seven quarts of oil to anoint a king so all the boys look at the prophet of the nation he's the most famous man in the nation he pulls up to their house he's got seven quarts of oil they got excited he's here to anoint a king so they all line up you know in front of him seven of Jesse's eight sons line up and Eliab the tallest one the the oldest one the one that was tall dark and handsome he stands in front of Samuel and Samuel looks at him, and Samuel says in the scripture, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. God said, Hold up, bud. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And- so Samuel, you know, well, that's a that's a good phrase, but I'm gonna anoint this one. He loads up those seven quarts of oil in the horn, you know, and he he pours he pours the horn out on Eliab's head and it, it won't the oil won't flow. And so he, well, let me try the next son. He he's pretty good looking too. He's pretty tall and strong too. And he goes down seven sons down the line. Oil won't flow. Looks at Jesse, you got any other boys? You know. Yeah, the run of the family is out in the field. Well, bring him in. And, and he comes in, and finally the oil starts to flow. Because your oil knows you. Yeah. And it won't flow for anybody else. They can copy you. They can dress like you. They can try to look like you and act like you. But what God has destined for you won't flow for anybody else. It's why it's pointless to be jealous of people. They cannot take from you what God has destined for your life. Your oil knows you. And so he is anointed And then Samuel prophesies and says, you're going to be the king of the whole nation. He's anointed with oil and then given a word. You will be, not today. Today, you're going to have to go back out and and keep those sheep, but you will be anointed to be a king sometimes God gives you a will be so that you have the tenacity to survive the seasons and the vicissitudes of life that you're standing in sometimes God's word will come to you and give you a will be and and you go through things in your life where everything else is stripped away and you're cut all the way down to the will be it's literally all you have and you didn't quit you would have quit but you didn't quit because of the will be you took a beating and you would have just stayed on the ground but you got up because you had a will be over your life and and so david is anointed king and he's carrying the will be of a prophetic word you will be king and and the anointing of god when it is applied to your life does two things instantly listen to me The anointing of God, the empowerment that heaven sends upon a person, does two things instantly. Number one, it forces victory. The anointing of God, it's not like it partners with you, with your effort to get victory. The anointing itself forces victory. But number two, it also draws enemies. Everybody say, forces victory draws enemies. Forces victory, draws enemies. All of a sudden, from the moment the boy gets anointed, we see enemies come out of the woodwork to attack David. First is a lion, then is a bear then he has to face Goliath a giant and then all of a sudden King Saul is is coming after him and becoming an enemy to him. David's fighting the demons of Saul first you know. David's engaging in spiritual warfare. You remember it was David that was hired to play the harp and to sing when evil spirits would torment Saul's mind. So David is encountering all of this warfare simply because he has been anointed. Sometimes you're Warfare is not the sign that you are not anointed. Your warfare is the sign and the proof that you have been anointed and empowered by God. It forces victory, it attracts warfare, and now Saul, you know, has hired assassins to kill. David. He was the one that hired David. He was the one that promoted David, but he heard a song one day. The women all came out and they were singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And the Bible says from that day, Saul eyed David differently. And so he hires assassins to kill David while he's in his bed. But God gave him an exit strategy. He climbed down out of a window and he began to flee for the hills. That was where he wrote the psalm. I will lift mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the Creator of heaven and earth, and and, and he gets out in the wilderness. And he he does become a leader, just not the kind of leader that he thought he was going to be. In First Samuel twenty two two, it describes David's quote unquote mighty men and 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 the leader that he did become. Look at look at his people. Look at their resume. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. And there were about four hundred men with him. And it's just like the devil, you know. It is just like the devil uh, to come up on your shoulder and say, I, I thought he said you 's going to be the king of the nation. You're just the king of the crooks. You're just the king of the ones that are in debt. You're just the king of the ones who are discontented. You're just the king. You're just the king of a bunch of ragtag mishmash people that don't have anything else better going. I, you know, you may, Maybe that's what God meant. You would be the king of that. You'd be the king of all the trash in the kingdom. And yet David takes the responsibility of these men and he begins to train them and he begins to raise them up and shift their station in life. God blesses people he can trust to be a blessing to other people. So David looked at all the people that were in debt. He looked at all the people that were discontented he looked at all people that were discombobulated and he said i am going to personally be responsible for being your captain being your leader and changing your station you really want the favor of god and the blessing of god to flow in your life find somebody that's low that you can use your power to help them elevate their station in life and david was faithful with that assignment and then as time passed the nation of israel split into a little small portion of land broke off a small group of people broke off called judah and, and david does become the king of judah and here comes the devil again maybe this is what the prophet saw you know prophets don't speak perfectly you know May, maybe this is it maybe maybe you get to be the toy king of a fractured part of the kingdom but the real money wasn't in judah The real political power wasn't in Judah. The military wasn't in Judah. You know, maybe maybe you're just the king of that. I want to tell you something. When God makes you a prophecy, when he makes you a promise through prophecy, no prophecy comes with a consolation prize. I want to talk to people who've been living with a word over your head for a long time. The enemy will check in with you at least once a year to make you settle for less than what the word was given. It make you, maybe this is what God meant. Maybe this is all I'm supposed to have. Maybe this is the fullness of it. He wants you to take the faith pressure on that word and cast it aside. But listen to me. No prophecy comes with a consolation prize. If God said you going to be the king of the whole nation you're going to be the king of the whole nation and it took david 15 years from when he was anointed and when he was prophesied to but the time came where he wore the crown not only was he the leader of the vagabonds not only was he the king of judah now he is the king of israel as well and he's reuniting the kingdom because no matter what happened in his life His prophecy could not be stopped. Listen to me, those of you overwhelmed with a broken heart, but you got a word over your head. Your prophecy cannot be stopped. If God spoke it, he will bring it to pass. Though the vision, tarry wait on it because it will surely speak and it shall not lie. God is not a man that he can lie, nor the son of man that he can repent. Has he not said it? has he not spoken? Will he not bring it to pass? Yes, he will. I don't know who it's for. I feel I gotta tell somebody the word is still good. The promise is still good. The future is still secure. What God spoke to you. He's still planning. He hasn't changed his mind. You didn't mess up bad enough to make him change his mind. He knew what you were going to do before he spoke it in the first place. And he would not have said it if he wasn't going to make it good. Touch three people. Help me spread this rumor. It's still good. It's still good. It's still good. Pastor Eric told you last week, it's all good. I want to tell you today, it is still Now David is living in his destiny. The fullness of time has come and his word has burst into manifestation in the earth. He is the king. He holds the power. He holds the finance. But in the text, his soul is bleeding. Because while it is true, he is king. He had to run for his life when Saul was trying to kill him. He had to outrun the assassins that were tracking him, trying to kill him. He went through so much running. But now in our text, he's an older man. He's accomplished all that God said he would accomplish. His dreams have been fulfilled, but now he's got to run again. And there's a difference Running when you're 20. I just want to ask you a question. You don't have to raise both hands. Have you ever had to run for your life? You ever been in a situation where somebody's chasing you, and if they could catch you, they would kill you? There's a way you run when you're running for your life. And it's one thing to run for your life when you're 25. And another thing when you're 60. It's one thing to lose everything you've got in your 20s. But after you've spent a lifetime acquiring your land, your home, your wealth, your property, your assets, to to lose everything at, at David's age now is not like losing everything before. And to add insult to this injury, the one he's running from is his own flesh and blood. Absalom out of greed, out of boyhood resentment. Now he's chasing his daddy. Once again, assassins have been employed. Once again, David, now an older man, is, is having to jump over creeks and bend underneath branches and go into the woods and hide in the caves. I didn't spend my life the way I spent my life. To end up having to do these kind of maneuvers now. In other words, I, I'm too old for this. You can be honest, have you ever said, I am too old? can't go to any of his allies. Absalom bought him. He can't go to any of his trusted sources. So he goes in Psalm 61 to the only one he can go to. And he says, hear. Listen to this. Psalm 61. One here, hey, hear my cry. Oh, God, attend to my prayer. Interesting language he uses. If you are a Bible student, you will know that David had memorized the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He, I have hid thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Sounds pretty. What's it mean? means he memorized the Pentateuch. And he knew that in the Pentateuch, God did his most speaking in the book of Exodus. And he starts his speaking by saying to Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. David knows God will hear the cry of his collective people. But David's not a part of a people anymore. David is all by himself. So he comes to God and he's saying, I'm not coming to you today as a member of a group. I'm not coming to you today as an Israelite. I'm not coming to you as a Jew. I'm not coming here on behalf of anyone, and no one's coming to you on behalf of me. I'm coming to you as an individual. It's just me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer, not my mother, not my father, not my sister, not my brother. This is my personal cry. I need to speak to you, and and I need you to hear my cry. Somebody say my cry. my cry. Now somebody in this room has been crying a lot lately. Life is so overwhelming. There's so much pressure. You've taken all the action you can take. Now you can't take any. You've done everything you can do. And all that there's left to do is cry. And you've been crying every day. And you've been crying Every night, I want you to take one lesson from David. I'm not going to tell you to stop crying. Keep crying. But do your crying to God. He said, hear my personal cry, oh Lord. Hear my cry about what I'm going through in my family. Hear my cry about what I'm going through in my finances. Hear my cry about what I've lost and can't get back. Hear my personal cry. And... and and attend to my prayer. Sometimes it's not enough to get folks to pray for you. Intercession can only go so far. Sometimes you got to pull yourself up and go to God yourself and say, here I am. I'm just an individual. It's just me, but I'm going through so much today. I need you to hear my cry, not the cry of my nation, not the cry of my church, not the cry of all the Christians. Today, I need you to hear my cry. Verse 2, he says, Attend, which means in the Hebrew, handle. What, What am I doing with this microphone? I'm handling it with my hand. I'm handling it. You know, handle, pick up my prayer. I know there's a lot of people praying. I know there's a lot of things for you to consider, but right now I need you to stop what you're doing and I need you to handle, pick up, attend. To my prayer. And then he threatens God. I'm about to preach like I hadn't preached in six months. He threatens God. All the commentaries and study notes get this wrong. Next verse. From the end of the earth, I will cry unto you. David knew something about fussy babies. There are some babies that are good babies. <laughs> and they only scream when they need a diaper change, a pacifier, or something's wrong. Like they, something's bad wrong, you know. The rest of the time, good babies. There are other babies. (laughs) You can change them. You can feed them. You can give them a pacifier. You can put them up, set them up. They're just perfect serenity. And they just get a thing of, you are going to hear the full volume of all my lungs today for the next two hours. Get ready. The other day, I was on an important phone call. I can't stress the importance of the call enough. Very important. With a person on the other end that is very difficult to get on the phone. And some major decisions were taking place. And I happened to be looking after Stella. I had- my due diligence before the call I gave her the bottle, changed the diapers put the pacifier in, set the little toys up, get all the distractions ready but I had a feeling that as soon as I got on my call <laughs> and sure enough so I st- what I tried to do was I tried to put as much distance between her and the phone as I could so I take her in the bedroom and I run upstairs to my office I can still hear her in the office and the person on the phone says is that your baby crying is this a bad time for this call should we reschedule for 13 months down the road so I'm scrambling I go and I put her in our bedroom closet and shut the door Run to the boys' room upstairs. Get in their closet. Shut the door. I can still hear. I'm trying every closet in the house. And there's something God puts in a baby and a good parent, if you are a good parent, that when a good parent's baby is screaming your mind cannot focus on literally anything else productive except getting the baby to shut i'm on the run my son's trying to kill me i don't have no place to go and they're chasing me so I'm crying to you and right now I'm crying in Israel but God I want you to know something if they chase me from Israel to Egypt then I'll be crying in Egypt if they chase me from Egypt to Asia I'll be crying in Asia if they chase me from Asia to Antarctica I will be standing with the Eskimos in an igloo crying to you I want you to know there's not a room in the earth you can put me in or they can chase me to that will cause me to shut up I want you to know God you're gonna hear my cry I will not stop screaming until you come and attend to my prayer you're gonna have to hear me in the morning in the noonday and in the middle of the night there's no room to the ends of the earth I'm gonna cry until you answer sometimes you gotta become a bad baby. Sometimes you have to make the decision, I'm not stopping until you answer me. You're gonna have to hear it every single day, multiple times a day. My child is hooked on drugs you're gonna have to hear me tell you about it every single day until you deliver them and move them back home my marriage is going through hell you're gonna hear about it every single day until we see a change in this situation the finances are a are a wreck and you're gonna hear about it every single day until we see a change hear my cry oh god attend my prayer and i felt this so strong i felt that we were going to be gathered together and amongst us there were going to be so many people who had so many overwhelming needs and that the hearts of the people would be overwhelmed with this attitude with this disposition with this perspective God, I need you to hear my cry. And if there's anybody in the room right now that's got something overwhelming and you need God to hear your cry. I want you to take a few seconds and just whisper your prayer to the Lord. I'm going to scream it later, but whisper it now while you're in his presence. Lift up that concern to God. Pray for your children, pray for your future, pray for the medical diagnosis, pray for what's going on, pray for what's happening. Pray. For what you need to see. Hear our cry, oh God, and attend unto our prayer. I want you to know God is attending to prayers right now. There's something happening in the spirit. Something has clicked into motion. Where God is attending to prayers right now. If you have a prayer request, I would say it right now. I would get it in the atmosphere. I'd start your petition now. I would start letting your requests be made known unto God. Right now. I don't care who's sitting next to you. I don't care what they think. I don't care if folks think you are crazy. Now is an open moment. It's a Kairos moment in the spirit. God is here and he's answering prayers. Shout out your name. Shout out your address. Shout out who you're believing for. Shout out what you want from the Lord. God is attending to prayers. He says, attend attend to to my prayer from the ends of the earth i will cry i will cry unto you when when my heart keep lifting up that prayer you don't have to stop just because i'm preaching god's answering prayers god's answering prayers God's answering prayers. Have the faith to lift up that prayer. I see you in the balcony. Lift up that prayer. I see you in the back. Lift up that prayer. I see you. Lift up that prayer. Hear my cry. Oh God, attend to my prayer. My prayer. Not about my pastor's prayer today. Not about my neighbor's prayer today. Today it is my prayer. What's your prayer? Whisper it to your father. Whisper it to your father. Right now where you're sitting, whisper it to your father. Attend unto my prayer. Attend unto my prayer. Attend unto my prayer. They found this lump in my body. They're doing tests on it. My mind is overwhelmed. Attend to my prayer prayer my loved one is incarcerated this seems like there's no hope in the situation attend to my prayer someone is going through a situation of of a court battle that's still going on right now things aren't looking good God I need you to attend to my prayer say it with me attend to my prayer if you've already lifted your prayer up into the atmosphere lift up your hands and say now oh God no, you said the prayer quietly. You got to say this one loud. Now, oh God! Uh, now, oh God! Attend to my prayer. Now give him praise right where you're standing. Attend to Attend to my business. Attend to my credit card debt. Attend to my sickness. Attend to my prayer. It's a holy moment. Because some of people's deepest things are still going up right now in the atmosphere. They just now mustered up the faith to whisper a prayer to God from the deepest place. It's a sovereign moment. It's a holy moment. It's a it's a dedicated day. It's a marked day. Hear my cry, oh God. I would cry to people, but they can't change it. I'd cry to the government, but they can't change it. I'd cry to my family, but they can't change it. I'd cry to a lawyer, but they can't reverse it. So I'm coming to the only one I can cry to. Hear my cry. Whatever makes you cry, whisper it out to God. Hear my cry. Oh, God, attend to my prayer. My prayer my prayer be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus hear my prayer then he says when my heart is overwhelmed. Now it gets into the request and it's weird. When my heart is overwhelmed, this is what I want you to do. I want you to lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What are we reading here? What's David asking for? Does he say deal with Absalom? No. Does he say give me my stuff back? No. He says, God, all I need you to do is lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Now you have to know a little bit about David to know what he's asking for. First of all, he is longing and desperate to see something that he's only previously sensed. In other words, I've gotten close enough to you, God, to sense something about you. But what I'm praying for is that you'll let me see what I have only sensed. Is there anybody in here that knows what it's like to sense something's coming that you haven't seen yet? He says, "He says there's a rock that, that I want to see that I, I previously only sensed, and God, I'm asking you to lead me to that rock. It's a rock so high, I can't approach it unless you take me to it sometimes life can be so overwhelming that everything that can be shaken will be shaken and when the shaking comes to your life it reveals where your rock is because if everything that can be shaken is shaken it reveals what's not shaken is your rock and for david his rock was his knowledge of god Somebody made that boy memorize the first five books of the Bible. And so he's on the run, fleeing from his own son, has lost every possession. He's been stripped of everything. He's all the way down to just nothing left except his knowledge of God. And at the most painful and difficult part of his life, he starts talking to God about rocks. David remembered Genesis. He remembered that the nation of Israel was incubated in the loins of a man named Jacob. And the incubation started when Jacob came to a place called Luz and laid his head on a rock. And David said, I've been to that rock. Jacob set that stone up as a pillar and a memorial and poured oil on it. I've been to that rock. That's a good rock, but I've got that rock. David, David remembered Exodus. When Moses was hidden in the cleft of a rock, God made all his goodness pass by him. God moved his hand, and Moses saw God's hinder parts. David said, I've visited that rock. It's a good rock, but I've already got that rock. David remembered that when the people came out of the Red Sea, and they were wandering in the wilderness, they got thirsty, and they had no water to drink. And God told Moses, if you'll take your rod and you'll strike this rock, water will come out. And it did. David remembered that when Joshua was in the valley fighting the Amalekites, Moses was on the mountain and Aaron and Hur were holding up his hands and Moses said, I need you to steady me. Let me sit upon a rock. That's a good rock, God, but I've been to that rock. I got that rock. David remembered when Joshua was leading the people through the Jordan River. They were approaching their promised land. He made the people stop in the middle of the riverbed and send a representative from each tribe. And he made each tribe take one stone out of the riverbed of the Jordan. Because Joshua said, one day your children are going to ask you about this. And the story is going to be so unbelievable. I don't want them to have just a story. I also want them to have a stone. Because every miracle needs a memorial. Because life will throw dirt on top of the miracles God performs in your life. And so every time God gives you a miracle, you need to make sure you set up a memorial to retell the story and relive the glory as time goes by. And David said that is a great rock. But I got that rock. I, I I already got that rock. I've seen that stone. My tribe has one. Uh, David had his own experience with rocks. Walking down to fight a giant named Goliath, he stops by a stream and picks up five smooth stones. Those are good rocks. Problem is... None of those rocks are higher than my experience. None of those rocks are higher than what I know. None of those, those rocks have been the rocks of victory in the past. But what I'm dealing with now, none of those rocks will answer. What I'm facing now, none of those rocks will suffice and and, and what David's really longing for. He had spent so much time with God. He had spent so much time in God's presence. He sensed that there was another rock available. He sensed that there was a greater than Moses rock and Joshua's rock and Jacob's rock. He sensed there was another. And what he's desperately needing, what he's crying out for is the rock of ages. In this moment when David's heart is shattered, his own blood's trying to kill him, can you imagine the questions he had? What kind of daddy was I? You ever asked yourself that, you know? If I did that good of a job, how did they turn out? Nobody in the church, okay. Online, send me a comment or something. sometimes the worse the kid turns out, the worse the parent feels, because you're wondering, did I mess it up? You no. Know, did I not shield them enough from my own brokenness? That they got to carry their own brokenness and some of mine too? Did I dump extra on them when they were too vulnerable to carry it? Did I break them? You ever ask yourself that? Did I did I break him in some way? Imagine what he's feeling. Imagine how worthless he feels as a father, how powerless he feels as a kid. Imagine how unloved he feels. I was king for this long, in power this long, all these relationships, and I can't go to nobody. Maybe none of them love me anyway. Maybe they were just there because I was the king. Imagine how worthless he feels. You know what he needs? He needs the gospel. See, at this point, a thousand years before Christ, David knows God loves him in some kind of general way. But for this level of pain, he needs to know God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. David knows God's for him, but he doesn't know that he was wounded for our transgressions, that he was bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. David needed to hear what Jesus would later say to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. David needed to hear that he was a part of something, that no matter what was coming against you, no matter what was threatening you, no matter how many assassins had been hired, that it would not succeed because of what you were included in. He needed the gospel. He needed the chief cornerstone of our salvation, the stone that the builders rejected. He needed the rock. Called Christ. But all God could do is just say, He's coming. He's coming. When He cried out, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, the only response God could give. He's coming. He's coming. It's not time yet. It's not the dispensation yet. It's about a thousand years in the future from where you are standing right now. David needed the gifts of Christ that Christ gave to the church as he was ascending in Ephesians 4. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. David needed that. That could have answered what was going on in his soul, but, but he's coming. He's coming. So that is the reason, ladies and gentlemen, that I entitled the message, Better Off Than David. No matter what you are going through this morning, no matter what is overwhelming your heart, no matter what has your emotions in a vice grip, in your trouble, in your trial, in your situation, you are better off than David. Because if you have Jesus, if you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, if He know He loved you, if you know He loved you so much He bled, suffered, died, and rose again to save you and to forgive you of your sins, if you know that, you're better off than David. David wrote, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want one of the most quoted pieces of old world literature ever listed in time. And yet, if you know Jesus, you're better off than David. David wrote, Thou, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of my head. He wrote that, but he didn't know Jesus. If you know Jesus, you're better off than David. David wrote the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom should I be afraid? But if you know Jesus, if you've been washed in the blood if you've confessed him as your lord and savior if you've taken holy communion if you're a part of the church if you've had the anointing of the holy ghost on your head then you are better off than David Jesus said I am going to send the comforter in my name and he will comfort you and through him not will I be with you anymore but I shall be in you when David's praying with a broken heart what he really needs is to pray in the Holy Ghost what he really needs is to pray in tongues what he really needs is to be filled with the spirit to not just have the spirit on him but to have the spirit in him. David is standing there sensing something is coming praying for a rock that will manifest in the future but God said not yet not yet not yet but if you've been baptized in water in the name of Jesus if you've received the Holy Spirit if you speak with other tongues if you know the Lord's prayer brothers and sisters no matter what you you're facing you're better off he didn't have what you have and he killed a giant By saying, you come against me with a sword, a spear, and a shield. Watch it. But I come against you in the name of the Lord. But he didn't know the name. He led Israel. Through an undefeated period of peace and prosperity. He said. He prayed. Sin now. Prosperity oh God. And God opened up heaven over Israel. But. If you know Jesus. You're better off than David. Why? Because in 33 AD. In the land near Palestine. The one who was known in the scripture as the word in the beginning. <laughs> the one who was known as the day spring and the day star. The one who was known as the darling of heaven. The one who was known as the son of God. The one who the prophet said about his name, his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Rose of Sharon was arrested in a garden beaten and mocked in a judgment hall scourged and had his flesh torn apart at a whipping post and then flung down in a bloody mess upon a cross and made to carry his own Instrument of torture? Up a rock called Golgotha. A stone arrangement shaped like a skull. You got a stone walking up a stone. You got a rock on a rock. They nailed him to The cross. They raised him up off the ground. And in that moment, he absorbs both the sin and the judgment. Do do, do you hear me? He takes on himself and in himself, not just on his body, but in his soul he takes in himself and on himself the fullness of all of your sin and the judgment for it no wonder they sing rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in David needed that rock lead me to the rock lead me to the rock lead me to the rock. God had to say no not for this time he's coming but but you you got the rock David couldn't throw you got the rock David couldn't stand on You got the rock David didn't have access to. You got the rock that he sensed but couldn't see. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is. So with that overwhelming thing that there is no answer for, With that problem, with that complication, with your overwhelmed heart, as bad as it can be, you're still better off than David. better off than David. Think of his accomplishments. Think of all the things that he was able to do. Think about the fact as many swords as were arrayed against him in his life, it was not a sword that killed him. It died. Fulfilled, content, ripe old age in the bed of his kingdom. He got it all back. And he got it back without that rock we have without ever hearing about the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ without ever confessing with his mouth and believing in his heart and calling upon the name of the, he made it you you're better off than David Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus says something Sounds a little disrespectful, right? Better off than David. Sounds a little outlandish. Sounds like you're trying to pick a flashy title. Jesus talking here. He said, Assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist represented the Old Testament. He was the forerunner for Christ. He was the prophet that was in office, the last prophet that was in office under the Old Testament law. And Jesus said, nobody born in the Old Testament was as great as John. That would include David. Born of women not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom That's what Jesus came to bring when he started his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Change your mind, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. Jesus said the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Why? Because you have what John didn't have. John would not live to see Jesus go to the tree sacrifice his life's blood and die and then three days later by the power of the father be risen to life he didn't see it he wasn't there in acts chapter 2 when the holy spirit came sent by jesus like a rushing mighty wind cloven tongues like as a fire fell upon each of them and they all were filled with the spirit of jesus and begin to speak in other tongues he didn't see it You're better off than David. Mama, your child's hurting. Things are broken. You don't have the answers. And you feel so small, so inept, so incapable of fixing this. You're better off than David. What David wanted and needed. He was a thousand years too early for. Her. But what you've got, listen, 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 bring that down. It's really nice and I love it. And I love the atmosphere. I'm going to ruin it for a second. All the way down, all the way down. There's this place we would go to and I just want to leave you with this. I can't solve problems today. I'm here to point you at Jesus. All the way down. There's this, There's this old, old song. We were at a conference one day and there was this lady. I was a little boy. There was this lady who was known. She was known for being extremely wealthy. And she was elderly and she came up, took the mic and she was shaking. Her voice was shaky and cracky and all that. And she sang this song. And It's not a pretty song. Not really. She didn't sound good. But something about the song gave images and conveyed a thought or an idea. She got up there and she said, I'll never forget it. She said, acres of diamonds, mountains of gold. Rivers of silver, jewels untold, all these together couldn't buy you or me peace when we're sleeping, or a conscience that's free, or a heart that's contented. Or a satisfied mind. These are the treasures. Money can't buy. Oh. But if you've got Jesus. You've got more wealth. In your soul. Than acres. Of diamonds. And mountains. Gold. If you've got Jesus, you've got more wealth in your soul than acres of diamonds and mountains of gold. I can't pay my legal fees. If you've got Jesus, you've got more wealth in your soul I can't afford the medication. If you've got Jesus, you've got more wealth in your soul. My child won't speak to me. If you've got Jesus, you've got more wealth in your soul. I don't know the right people. I don't know where to get the counsel from. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what book to read. I don't have the education. I don't have, I don't have. If you've got Jesus, you've got more wealth in your soul than acres of diamonds and mountains of gold. Here's the dirty key is a filthy key. You got to see him as valuable. You got to see having him beholding him as more valuable than the best legal representation in the nation. You've got to see beholding him as more valuable. You've got to see having him. This is what David's prayer is, what makes it so beautiful. He set up the prayer like he was going to make the biggest, most outlandish request. Maybe he'll request for the lives of all of his enemies. Maybe he'll request God to restore his kingdom and give him all his money back. Maybe he'll request God to give him favor. Maybe he'll request God to start him another house or give him long life so he could start over again, have more kids. David, in the situation he was in, doesn't ask for any of that because he reckons, if I could just Have the rock. I wouldn't need anything else. And he didn't. And he didn't get it. But you did. So you're better off. And David, stand to your feet, give the Lord a praise all over the room. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person, for their need, for their heart for whatever's overwhelming them, for whatever's going through their mind, for whatever's in their spirit. Lord, I pray your closeness to them. Your word says you are near to the brokenhearted. And you said in your word that when we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we believe that Jesus is who the gospel says he is and that he did what the gospel says he did, that when we believe it in our heart and simply confess that we believe it with our mouth, that whoever calls on the name of the lord shall be saved you gave us so much more than david had you've made us better off than david and so lord by the power of the name of jesus the word of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. I lift your people up to you right now. I lift their prayers that they offered earlier up to you. And God, I ask you to hear, to help. I ask heaven to respond. I ask heaven to rule on court cases. I ask heaven to rule on unjust sentences. I ask heaven to rule in the favor of people in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray even more than that, That an awareness of the value of Jesus would baptize this church. An awareness of the worth of Jesus would baptize this church. I pray that the passion and desperation that David had. Saying, oh God, just lead. I don't want nothing else. Just lead me to that rock that I've sensed but haven't seen. Just lead me to that rock that I sense is coming david really was saying god could you give me jesus i pray you would pierce our hearts and pull us to you that way that the burning desire within us would be more of him more of him more of him lead me to the rock that is higher than i david couldn't get that prayer answered but we can today we can all say lead me to the rock that is higher than i lead me to jesus Lead me away from my flesh, away from my sin, away from my habits, away from my darkness. Let me see the light that shined in darkness. Let me see the light of Christ. Lead me to Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise all over the room. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.